0: If you're not listening to this episode on Patreon, you're listening to this episode later than our patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, just go to chillinoisnet slash Patreon. Once again, that's C-H-I-L-L-I-N-O-I-S dot net slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It only costs $3 a month. It allows you to get access to our episodes as they release and it is one of the best ways that you can support our show. Thank you for listening and enjoy the episode. All right, well Glenn, it is so nice to meet you. Um how do I how do I say your full name?
1: Glenn, Arthur, McElfresh, but, uh, depending on who you talk to at our Thanksgiving dinners, it may be McElfresh. Um, but I say McElfresh. I respond to both.
0: Okay. That's, I wasn't sure. Wasn't sure. McElfresh. I I'm happy to know, not that it matters to you. I was saying it in my head, right? Fuck. Yeah. Honestly, you preferred. I'd rather
1: just a little, just a little bit. So you, you already are starting strong first step.
0: (laughs) Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, um, I saw a video, I, Charles from Tiva sent me a video of you speaking in front of a group of folks and that's how I, uh, became aware of you. Um, but for folks that are listening, do you mind, uh, introducing yourself, uh, to the audience? Yeah, no, I'd
1: love to. Uh, so I am a co-founder of a couple of different hemp businesses. The first one is Plift and we are a, uh, Delta 9 THC infused soda. Uh, We also, uh, I'm also the CEO of this company called Perfectly Dosed, and we are a platform for other makers and entrepreneurs who want to get into the hemp space uh, by selling them water-soluble THC emulsions as an ingredient. So um, we've got a product and then we have an ingredient and kind of we're hoping to create a, a diverse ecosystem within the state of Illinois and eventually the
0: country. Very cool, dude. Very cool. Uh, My bad. I was uh, in the midst of rolling. If you didn't, I wanted to make sure to give you the opportunity. Did you, did you plug your website?
1: Amateur over here. Yeah. So it's Plift. That's P-L-I-F-T. And that's like uplift without the U because all that's missing is U-C-O-L. And then <laughs> Perfectly is also perfectlydosed.com. Uh, we're on all the socials. Uh, Drink Plift. Uh, and I think perfectlydosed1 is, is our handle on all the socials. I'm the I'm the ops guy. Uh definitely not the marketing guy, right? That's
0: amateur move one on one. No, hey, no worries. I wanted to just make sure because I do the same thing. I forget. I I've gone on to like shows and stuff, and it's like, damn it, I didn't even say the website or the show name. I just got so excited and started talking, <laughs> you know. So you know, Cole, well, I really am
1: I, I obviously I I do a lot of edibles because I run an edibles company but like seeing you roll that really nice J has got me uh, nostalgic for my uh nostalgic for my frisbee
0: <laughs> for your frisbee is that a euphemism for a joint no well it's my rolling tray oh oh nice nice yeah. I was like that's that's some like classic shit right there dude you know on the disc golf course there's no better way to you know it, it's your disc and it's your your rolling tray it's double duty that's amazing. I've never even thought about that. That's super cool. So, uh, so you say you take mo- mostly edibles nowadays. That's cool. I do. I used to smoke a lot,
1: uh, long, you know, smoked. That's how I got introduced to the plant. I used to smoke spliffs, which for the kids at home that don't know what that is, it's uh, tobacco mixed with cannabis, not healthy for you. Um, but you know, nicotine it's is fun one. though. Right. <laughs> oh, I love a good head buzz, man! I love a good head buzz, but I've stopped.
0: It's, sure, you know,
1: it's, I will smoke a joint though. I love me a good joint.
0: Fuck yeah, hell yeah! I've really gotten into edibles a lot lately too. Um, I mean, I've always been into edibles. Don't get me wrong, but I, I've been making sure to have them on hand more often. I guess is what I'm saying. You know what? Um, well, they're just it. You know. When I consume this, it gathers a lot of attention, and frankly, I don't really care anymore. Now nowadays, I'll spark up a conversation with you while I spark up a joint. But sometimes I'd just like to not have any attention and just consume. And then, um, also I love how I love the edible high. You know, like yeah. smoking is nice and dabbing or whatever. The fact that you inhale and exhale and instantly more or less feel it that's pretty cool but the high that the edibles deliver can almost be psychedelic in fact uh it's kind of funny Illinois representative Ford uh LaShawn Ford just came on my show recently and he described what was basically a psychedelic experience that he had on edibles um you know so I'm a huge fan of edibles for for with regard to that you know what I mean so, oh i totally
1: agree i mean i you know I got into edibles when I was tired of smelling when I went to places yeah like for me I don't really drink alcohol so if I'm going to go out with people like don't get me wrong I can be the only sober person in the room but it's nice to get a buzz right I'm yeah and I was just tired of like you know people being like oh Glenn we've smoking?" and it's like so what i was like you don't need to judge me for smoking and enjoying a buzz like i don't walk up and say hey what's up homie you've been drinking um which is you know sometimes i do but like it's it's nice to just be nursing my own high without necessarily having people judge me for that and obviously the, the older i've gotten the more entrenched in the industry i've found myself like i care even less about what people think if i smell like weed like you know, so what, but I also like am mindful of like, not everybody likes that smell. And to your point, I don't want to necessarily be a distraction or a center of attention all the time. So ed- edibles are like my mainstay, I'd say smoke bowls are like my number two. I smoke probably like two or three times a month. And then I just don't vape that often. Cause I can never find a battery that works.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I vape probably too often. Um, I'm going to need to cut that out. I feel like it's just, there's just no way it's healthy. Um, but, uh, but it's the reason I like to vape a lot is for exactly the reason you just brought up with edibles, the, the lack of smell, you know what I mean? Yeah. You get enough taste, which is like, I
1: love the plant, right? Like I plan on consuming cannabis until I die, unless my doctor's like, this will kill you. And then even that I'll definitely seek a second opinion at that point. But, uh, you know, I just don't need to smell like weed I just don't need to smell like weed all the time I'm like kind of past that stage of my life like I got a haircut you know it's I'm a different man now
0: yeah and I mean look I'm looking for an episode right now I believe it's episode number 210 of our podcast uh we talk about the effect of smoking cannabis which you know smoking anything is obviously not probably good for you right um but uh what's that Suzanne Schick. Yes, Suzanne Schick, who, by the way, like is of, uh, from what I remember, I believe she is one of the people that discovered what is known as third hand smoke. Do you know what third hand smoke is?
1: I have not seen that podcast episode, which I think was like the one right before me or two right before me. It is in my to listen queue. I have no idea what third hand smoke is. I mean, yeah. I was.
0: Well, folks, yeah, definitely check it out for a more like comprehensive understanding. But from what I understand, third-hand smoke—like, have you ever walked into a house and it's been clearly vacated for a long time, but it smells like cigarettes in it?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. That's,
0: that's like the simplest way to explain third-hand smoke. The, like, the fact that you—it's c- in the walls. Um, another way to explain it that she explained to me, with I never really thought of, like, sometimes you know, parents will try to smoke like outside so they don't give their kids third hand smoke right or sorry second hand uh-huh. smoke um so they'll try to smoke outside they don't smoke in the house anymore right my parents growing up we used to have ashtrays in the house I remember one of the things I got in trouble for once was I knocked over the fucking ashtray which is funny I don't think any kid break it no I didn't break it but I made a mess because there was there were ashes in it you know um
1: That's point, it sucks
0: yeah, but uh so so you know, as we progress in society, the parents would go out into the garage or go outside. But the thing they often didn't do, or even if they did, wash their hands. So when you touch the remote or whatever, like that residue gets on and then your kids touch the remote and third hand smoke. Well, Money um, I have a third hand smoke story. I didn't realize I did. did. Yeah. Uh, I- I live in a two-flat in Chicago,
1: and I'm on the the second floor. And the person who lived here uh, before us was a smoker, and so the apartment had been like very thoroughly cleaned, but like uh like the it really except the windows, and there was always this like. This this kind of sheen on the windows. I'm like, what the fuck is that? So one day I'm just like, I- I'm gonna just clean this. So I like I get the the glass cleaner. I wipe it down with paper towels. I don't use gloves. And I know what a nicotine high is like. And I swear I felt like I got a buzz. And I was like, it was not an enjoyable. And it could have been the cleaning supplies. So you know, I'm not gonna say for sure that was third hand smoke, but. Damn, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, right. dude. It, it sucks.
0: Now the windows are clean, though. Yeah. So anyways, what she talked about, so that's how, you know, just I always like to mention that about her. But she talked about, um, yeah, smoking and how um, how it can affect others, like the, the effect of secondhand smoke uh, at consumption lounges, consumption events. And uh, she even, like, studied an array of, like, pe- you know, consumption lounges that allowed you to smoke and dab, but also consumption lounges that only allowed you to dab consumption lounges with like state of the art air filtration systems. And what she basically found is that there's no safe way to consume cannabis around people. Like she said that like, even at like outdoor events, Um, you, you know, in Illinois, we recently had recently had those air quality alerts. Oh Yeah. She said that you would be getting those alerts at these events like you would get the that's how much smoke she's picking up at these events now. And I want to be very clear for listeners. She is an advocate for legalization. She thinks it should be legalized. She's not like she's not collecting this data to say people shouldn't smoke weed. She's just saying like, hey, we learned this lesson with cigarettes. You know, we used to have the smoking section in the restaurant.
1: So can I, can I hop in on that for a sec? Cause yeah. I, I, so I have this terrible habit of like, I'll be high and I'll be on Twitter and it may be a good habit, but like I'll re- start responding to tweets and I'm like, mm, Nope, we're just going to draft it. Um, but I had one kind of teed up last night or the night before you may have, it may have even been in your thread, um, but it was about consumption lounges and like that whole concept I really struggle with because like one, aren't we trying to like have people smoke less indoors? Obviously no, you know, a, at least in a public setting, right? In the privacy of your home, own home. Cheers, by the way. Um, Cheers. Privacy of your own home, have at it. Um, but like in public is then that we're trying to do. And then also in whenever legalization happens in all these states, aren't we introducing or most states introducing more restrictive, like, you know, well well-crafted laws that like discourage high driving and, you know, driving while intoxicated by cannabis. And yet we're creating places with parking lots for people to go get high, right? I'm like, I I almost feel like it's a giant honeypot for the police. And I can't uncheck that, you know, as people are advocating for this like next wave of market expansion into licensed marijuana world as like it being consumption lounges it totally makes sense in hospitality
0: but I, I feel like you could make the same argument about bars right now you know there's the 0. Yes. 0. 0.08 strict limit and you could say a bar is a honeypot but we all i feel like ever even my parents who are not like legal scholars are aware of the term uh entrapment <laughs> and they're like you can't do that <laughs> so you know what i mean
1: it, i hear you and i'm just like for me though like i hear I'm,
0: you too i hear your point you know? Just like
1: like is that really the way right and, you know is is that the end of the rainbow here like you know are we saying consumption lounges it's like hello you know like, yeah you got- and
0: i think i'm so glad we're having this conversation and i was glad i was able to plug the suzanne schick one because consumption is definitely like nuanced especially with the points she brings up because like you would, you might say that everybody – so let's talk about secondhand smoke, for example. Some people would say like those concerns are ridiculous because the people chose to go to this smoking lounge. It's like, okay, but maybe everybody didn't choose. Maybe some people are employed there because it's the closest thing to them.
1: That's a good point.
0: And, and so I asked her about that, like what's the solution in that case? And she basically said PPE. Like that's the only thing. The air filtration systems don't work they actually make it worse in some cases um because it just moves the smoke around and so i was like okay so they they're in a beekeeper suit she's like well yeah but then that doesn't lend itself to a comfortable smoking you know it's
1: outer space themed
0: true true (laughs) true and the air conditioning's nice because you know you don't want the workers to be uncomfortable or anything but anyways we're i'm kind of bouncing all over the place uh Yeah, consumption lounges are definitely an interesting thought. All I will say is that, like, it we and we do, we have uh, like hookah lounges and stuff in Illinois. I think we should be able to have cannabis lounges in Illinois. Um, you know, and I wish it was like more widespread because there are just people that like either come to town. And they have no safe place to consume it. So like they're either a tourist and they can't like they're in a hotel, so they can't smoke weed there. You can't smoke it outside because that's illegal. So you like need a place. But then there's like people that have apartments or in like federal housing or whatever. And so like all those different people, I think, you know, would benefit from a consumption lounge. And I guess my last thought really quick is that like back to bars, like. I do think you benefit from having people around when you consume, like to like make sure you're good, you yeah. know, like, yes. Like that's a good part of the ritual, if you will, of uh, alcoholism or like being, being in a bar is that the bartender, they watch you, but then I feel like other people, I mean, at least in the bars that I've been at, they look, they look out for you. you know? I
1: think most of the time, yes. You know, i i think it's a fun experiment that we're lucky to be alive during right? oh yes yeah like at the very least i'm like who's got it better than us and dude how many people we're really lucky
0: i mean we're sitting here you're drinking weed i'm smoking weed we're talking through space right now this is fucking crazy bro
1: i know <laughs> yeah the matrix is can be pretty good sometimes
0: yeah Well, hey, Glenn, I want to bounce all over with you because I I already really have enjoyed our conversation so far. But I wanted to give you space today uh, because of of how I was introduced to you. I saw you give a speech on Delta 8 and kind of the latest uh, hullabaloo, if you will, for lack of better words, on uh, cannabinoids. Um, I could play the video if you wanted me to. Or I could I just know what the video is, but um, oh, you don't know. So uh, Charles, I think do, but uh, was it in Rockford? You you were standing there in a suit. So was Charles, and you like spoke. On you know, it, it,
1: it, as long as it's not too long, because if it's me getting all windy, then nobody nobody benefits from that.
0: Okay, but, hold on, it's two minutes. We could do this. Let's do this. Uh, so uh, one second here. Let me pull up my share. Um. Here we go. All right. Can you see the video? There we go. This is the one, Glenn.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, this uh. from the cup. here uh, for taking his time to support us. And I want to say thank you to the Buckleys team for, uh, one, being a responsible business, as well as just being uh, business role models to me. So my name is Glenn McElfresh and I'm one of the co-founders of Plift. We're a black and women-owned uh, hemp-infused soda company based here right out of Chicago. Uh, we started about two years ago when we weren't able to get started in the adult-use cannabis industry. But we knew that the world really needed an, a responsible complementary alternative to alcohol because alcoholism runs in my family and my co-founders family. Now today we're sold in seven states. We're doing revenues that are approaching $50,000 a month. And we started the year with only two thousand dollars a month so we've grown rapidly and that sort of business growth creates jobs and tax revenue for the great state of illinois Uh, and we are not alone i know many of the businesses here who are responsible great representatives for this industry and many who aren't able to be here today also are growing quickly creating jobs and creating tax revenue and that's because hemp is a federally legal substance that allows us to run a successful business Because hemp is federally legal, we have substantially lower barriers to entry, and that increases equity and diversity of ownership within this industry. Because there's more businesses, there's more jobs and more tax revenue for the state, and we have a virtuous cycle where our state improves because these hemp businesses are successful. So what do we want? We want responsible regulations, stricter licensing, and we want to make sure that our children are safe and that we're contributing to the state of Illinois. Uh, I don't think I've ever said this in my life, and I'm not going to say it again, but I want to be taxed. I want to contribute more to the state, and I want to leave that legacy for my children and grandchildren. So I think that we are the American dream. This is the 21st century iteration of, of the American dream that we all hope, of, hope for. And my name is Glenn McAlfresh, I'm one of the co-founders of Cliffs, and I just want to say thank you to everyone here today.
0: Hell yeah, dude. you were arms, Thanks, for Dude, it's okay. Um, I just did it there. I do it all the time. I'm a big ummer. It uh, it's hard not to do. Anyways, though, uh, <laughs> I wanted to give you more space because again, I kind of just set the stage that we're gonna talk about cannabinoids. Uh, anything that yeah. maybe you wanted to say uh, before we like dove into it, since I just played the video.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I'm gonna start off by <clears throat> saying thank you. You know, first off, to you, thank you for having me as a guest. D- dead ass serious when I said before we got started, long time listener, first time caller. So it's super cool uh, to be here. Uh, second off, want to say thank you to uh, Charles Wu, John Murray, Mark Pesakovich, uh, everyone else in that video, Repfella, um, all, all the folks that uh, uh, were there, uh, and I'll, and all the folks that weren't. This is a team effort with what we're doing many of those I wouldn't be in business if it weren't for some of those folks particularly Charles and John so uh, thank you to them to Sam Tyrone just a bunch of really good people in this community here um I have so many thoughts where to begin I think the most important part here is that the American dream is I think at risk um, and I'm not talking about it in a fearful way, but I think that, you know, the American dream where like, we're the first generation, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 33. Like we're the first generation that's probably going to live a less life than our parents. We're the first parent generation that's going to live. Um, they're going to like make less money, do less well than our parents. And I don't mean to like, I don't like starting negative. I'm a genuinely positive guy. Um, but I think that opportunities for people like us, like, you know, it's a lot harder than it was in the past. Uh, you know, I've been in the cannabis industry for a decade and like, I've seen, you know, the, the IPO rush of 2017, 18 and 19, you know, when billionaires got created millionaires got created and, you know, it just, it went to the, the top echelon of people, but like people like me were the people that were doing the grunt work and told to be grateful for just having a job, excuse me. And some like, rudimentary comp package, right? Like moving forward to today, I think I've never been happier about kind of just broadly speaking the the cannabinoid and particularly the hemp industry, um, just because of the accessibility that we have, have created so far, but also are creating currently. Like this is like very much a, a, a fluid situation. Uh, in terms of the ability for anyone, like all of your listeners right now could start a a hemp business tomorrow. But, and in fact, you should hit me up if you want to check out perfectlydosed.com or shoot me an email uh, at gam at perfectlydosed.com. And, you know, that just doesn't exist in the marijuana space. Like, so quick kind of side story. So when we started Plift. We went to every single MSO's HQ, at least those in Chicago. Most of them didn't even take meetings. Uh, my business partner, Todd, is like an incredibly talented man. He leads uh, a multi-hundred million dollar line of sales for uh, one of the leading digital consulting agencies in the world, works with brands that like, you know, household consumer brands that you've seen. I, I just don't necessarily want to say I'm just in public in case they feel bad about being acknowledged, but they're, they're names you've heard of. You've either consumed their product, driven their vehicles, or put their, you know, stuff on your face. Um, And, you know, he's built these brands, you know, and I have a decade of cannabis industry experience as a chief compliance officer, and we literally had a drinkable product that got you high. And people are like, well, that's cool. You did that on like, you know, $30,000 of your own capital, but come back when you have traction. It's like, well, how are we gonna do that? Like, well, you figure that out. So we did, you know, none of them would touch us. And I actually think that we probably are partially responsible for alerting some of the uh, folks in Illinois, some of the MSOs to like this kind of hemp thing Um, because we took their advice and got traction. Um, It's unbelievable how accessible, this industry is. And I think that's really important to understand for like, you know, for people who don't come from means, right. I'm, I'm so amazingly blessed. Like I come from a very classic Chicago middle-class background, went to high school in the burbs and, you know, now's West wolves, baby. Um, you know, I, I'm so lucky. Um, and it's still been one of the hardest things in my life to launch this business. But like we're committed to changing that, and you know, make it so that you know the way in the same way that like tobacco, sugary substances, and uh, alcohol are so readily accessible, you know, really everywhere, you know that that the cannabis can be that way too. Because if we're looking at this in terms of like a harm reduction product, like I really think that if somebody can say like, "Hey, I'm going to have one less beer, I have one less alcohol, like alcoholic beverage." I'm actually going to just have like an edible, like, I think that society is just a little bit better for that. Uh, And, you know, I, I feel just incredibly lucky to, to be at the forefront of this movement with so many people who at one point were my business idols. And now they're like people I text and call with regularly. And, you know, it's, it's just really fortunate. And I, I think that that is not the last time that that story will be told. Right. Like, I fully expect and hope and want that somebody, because of this podcast, reaches out and is like, I want to start a business. Like, help me start a business. And then we start a business and it's like, damn, that's a big ass business. Like, that'd
0: be really fucking cool. Yeah. Say Uh, your email again, just real quick. Yeah.
1: So, G A M, that's, uh, yeah, G A M, my initials at at, uh, Plift. That's P L I F T dot com and it's the same thing g a m at perfectly dosed dot com. Pro tip: get your get your dot com. I've had too many dot co businesses and that. Never was.
0: Yeah, that's the story of this right here. Fucking could have got the goddamn dot com for like cheap, and then I got the dot net, and it the dot com went. Somebody had a monitor set up, and the dot com went up to like two thousand dollars, something crazy. It was. People do that. Yeah. Hey, everybody's going to hustle. Hey, yeah, dude, kudos, whatever. <laughs> anyway, sorry. You were talking about how accessible it is. Yeah. And, and, and it's like,
1: it's, it's, you know, the accessibility is a double-edged sword. And I think that, you know, to, what is it? Uncle Ben with great power comes great responsibility. I think there's some people who are irresponsible actors in the space um, you know, I'm not certainly going to name names because that's just tacky. Uh, but there's people who are selling products that are like 300 milligrams a serving. And I'm like, I don't care what the cannabinoid is like, it really, with the exception of CBD, which requires more do- of a dose than I think most people are probably getting to have any sort of therapeutic effect. Th- there's no cannabinoid that requires that much uh, that high of a dose to, to, to enjoy. And now there are obviously limited use cases where there are folks that have true medical needs that do require like grams of full spectrum oil that do require like hundreds of milligrams of THC and other cannabinoids to like truly get the relief that they need. Um, But I, I don't think that that's necessarily, at least right now, I don't, I don't think that those sorts of products should be sold super duper widely. I think having responsible dosage caps um, you know, like, tr- you know, we need to kind of treat this closer to alcohol and tobacco than we do uh, like a tier one narcotic or schedule one narcotic. Like, one thing I'll never forget is I was, a, so I got into the industry as a bud tender, right? Like, I uh, was 24, it was 2014, and I was in Colorado, and it was a med rec dispensary. And I'd like, we'll never forget the first time that I heard someone say they were going to eat a hundred milligram edible bar or a 250 milligram edible bar all by themselves. Cause it helped. So I think it's always important that, you know, with cannabis in particular, we remember that the people who got this started are the medical users. So those, those folks should, should always be mentioned and thanked for the trail that they blazed and the shit that they got and like, we owe it to them to make sure that like, we don't throw the baby out with the bath water, you know, by like removing the dosage down to like five milligram caps, right? Like total for everyone. Cause like, that doesn't, that like, that may help a lot of people, but that it'll actually hurt some really vulnerable populations. Or like in the case of Minnesota, they made it so that CBD can't be sold. It, that full spectrum can't be sold outside of the two uh, medical licensees in the state, which I think is just
0: bad. And it's a shame. It, it makes me sad, actually. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, so you're talking about kind out. of ir- irresponsible actors, mm-hmm. stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, one thing that that I was honored to be kind of brought into is this responsible business pledge. And, and I don't, I watched Charles episode. I don't remember if he brought it up, but, but even if he did, it's worth bringing up again. So one thing that we're focusing on and I, I have it in my file. I should have pulled it out before I got here, but it's a responsible business pledge. And it, and it's just, you know, it's a, it's a self-policed document that says a couple of different things. One it's that all those businesses agree not to sell to folks under the age of 21, which I think, you know, excuse me we can all agree is like it, table stakes at this point, right? Like folks folks that are, you know, children or under the age of 21 that need cannabis should see a doctor. Um, it also states that we will abide by testing uh, protocols. So we're tested uh, at Pro Verde Labs, uh, working with, I said I wouldn't name drop, but I don't think they would hate if they got the business great lab out of Massachusetts. There's LK Labs in Illinois. I've worked with a bunch. Um, Uh, There's another one out in San Francisco, Uh, but there's very reputable testing labs all over the country. Uh, And, you know, we're, you know, basically saying that we're going to test our products to make sure they're safe, right? So that's testing for potency, obviously, Uh, testing for pesticides, heavy metals, uh, any sort of like bacterial contamination, right? Like yeast and mold. Uh, And then there's uh, other sorts of toxins that can be bad when consumed either via eat, ingestion eating or when smoked so we you know we're just all about making sure that these are safe products like as an ace as a new industry like we owe it to our consumers like to put good products out there and build trust because at least that's my belief right that's a personal opinion i guess there's no reason to do that but that's like what we what i believe what plush believes and what like all of our you know the folks who have signed that pledge that you played in that clip um believe as well
0: gotcha and th- the other things you mentioned in that clip were like stricter licensing um taxes <sighs> yeah i'll
1: i'll save licensing for last cuz i think there's the most to talk about there sure. um, taxes are funny right like they are growing up i remember the first time i got a tax return or a tax refund and I was like uh-huh. Yo, this is dope." and then I'll remember like oh man I paid like the moment after that I was like damn I paid all that in though over the course of the year and I could have had that money when I needed that money and I was like oh that's weird taxes are weird um and then the first time I started a business I had to like remit licensing and taxes it was you know, I, I became, I, I understood the kind of the old adage, like when you're young, you're a Democrat, when you get older, you're a Republican. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm proud to say I'm an independent. There's no blue, red in this, in this house right here. Um, but right now, most, you know, edible cannabinoid products or these like kind of hemp infused products live in a little bit of a regulatory, um, uh, and they live in a taxable, uh, gray space, so to speak. Right. So for States, that consider it to be food, right? They're not taxed. Um, and in my opinion, they should be, right? That that may ruffle some feathers. Um, but I think that if we are, you know, going to commit to being good members of the community, that means some sort of engagement with the government, right? Like that means like opening up our doors, opening up our books, you know, like getting some kind of a, a license that anyone, can get right as long as we're over the age of 21 or some stuff like that um and that costs money right like i don't care if it's like 10 cents to print out that you know hemp business form or if it's you know the 100 grand that went into developing it during the rulemaking process like governments have expenses and that's okay but like we need to make sure that we're not like taking a drain on the state of illinois because like right now the state of illinois financially is in like i believe pretty good shape and so, like I view this as an opportunity to like build up on that, keep building out that rainy day fund. and and, you know, ideally, we can take some of the proceeds from this industry and reinvest it in communities that have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs and actually give it to the communities that have been impacted instead of, you know, maybe not having enough funds being generated to to get to that level. Um, and then, on the licensing side, Man, have you ever looked at a cannabis application, like a cannabis license application, Cole? Like the finished product?
0: I think, technically speaking, I (laughs) have it's like I think I have once with uh Tom Howard on Cannabis Legalization News. We were looking at the form when they added the uh firearm victim of firearm violence thing, which was the most recent lottery. But like, aside from that, no, I've not ever really looked at like an application uh one out
1: no i thought i had one maybe i do
0: but are you talking about like just the application are you talking about like uh, the application filled out like a submission both
1: you're you're like sure the
0: submission is like huge yeah
1: yeah so i i just finished submitting an application in alabama at the end of last year it was one of the craziest experiences of my life
0: Mm mm-hmm
1: and uh, it was seventeen hundred pages, seventeen hundred pages long. Like the Illinois ones were, I submitted a craft and a dispensary. Those were like three hundred pages, and then like seven hundred pages. It's a lot of stuff, right? Like I, again, kind of going back to my, my, my fortunate circumstances that I was born into. I'm lucky that i had the education right like the the freedom at the time that covid was going on to write some of those applications right and then in alabama being able to market myself and finding people who trusted me enough to like essentially spend money for them to put, put us in a position to win a license and you know but the reality is, is it's 1700 pages of like tell me the color of your license plate type stuff. You know, like it, it's unreal. Like does the person's left, is it 10 and two or nine 30 and three 30, right? Like stuff like that is bonkers. And it's not just cars, right? Like it's your production. It's your, you know, like I had to literally for all of our stuff in Alabama, say our ingredients for each product, including the source of our peach flavor, because peach is the only allowable gummy, right? In Alabama. So like, i i talk about that because that's like every single state in 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 marijuana right so aside real quick i was enlightened i used to believe that calling it cannabis was the way like respectful of the racist origins of marijuana right like i was a big believer in that i didn't think it was hard to do and so i did it in minnesota this past fall um an attorney uh, susan burns she'd actually be a great guest for this podcast um she uh, was like, Glenn, you should call it marijuana because it's marijuana. And I'm like, uh, we like kind of butted heads about it. And I can be a uh, a strongly opinionated guy. And and she was like, look, it's a legal term, right? It's a legal term. So marijuana is anything with more than 0.3% THC on a dry weight basis. If it's less than that, it's hemp. And that difference is huge, right? Like, well, we can talk about that in a bit, but like all, both of those plants, even though the government looks at them extremely differently are still the plant cannabis sativa l um i wish that my desk was on the other side because i have a dope black light cannabis poster that i would there's seeds on it so you know it's hemp or some 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 um so um but like on the license going you know kind of going back to licensing the marijuana licenses are usually competitive you have a couple of exceptions right? You have statewide licensing in like Colorado, you have statewide licensing in, in Michigan's and Oklahoma's like this like grand experiment. But most of the time you have like a limited number of these licenses and that just is so inaccessible. So I think the most important thing with hemp is that like, we need to have standards, right? We need to have business standards, but we shouldn't in no circumstances limit how we can let people get in. Because like, what if I'm not, what if I'm like 15 years old right now? And in like, Six years, I want to start a you know a cannabis business when I'm 22 or 23. Like we're effectively saying to the future, you can't play now. And and there's just something that's inherently unfair about that, in my opinion. But also, I think it really and more importantly, more presently, it just truly neglects the fact that there are millions of people who have been negatively impacted by the war on drugs. And and if we don't let if we don't at least give any one of those people, right, the opportunity to come into this space, then it's, it it feels like we're letting them down. And that's a, that's a, that's a strongly held opinion, right? Like, I I think reasonable people can argue, I can see the points on the other side. You know, like a couple years ago, I was like, you know, this whole hemp, this whole, you know, D8 stuff was like, ah, you know, I don't get it. But like, Now I'm like, I believe that this is a once in a generation opportunity for anybody that wants to start a business in this space. I think it's a once in a generation opportunity to make a social impact. And I think it's a once in a generation opportunity to like create a new industry that is, you know, that can kind of fulfill some of the promises that the marijuana industry like maybe intuitively understood were important but we're not perfectly situated to actually fulfill. So that's a political answer to to some of that. But like, I think, I I really think that this is just an unreal, uh, like just opportunity, no matter how you look at it.
0: Yeah, I want to get back just on a clear, I want to clarify, I've got a clarifying question on your strict licensing, but just to your point really quick. I read this article Jeez. from a uh, Green Market Report. Uh, I'll share it really quick. Um for folks that want to look up the headline, it's greenmarketreport.com. The headline is Tough Times Likely Ahead for New Illinois Marijuana Shops. Artist, author John Schroyer, written July 12th, 2023. That's today. Right off the presses. Um I there's there's a lot of good stuff in here. They're talking I about I think I've seen that article. Yeah. Yeah. They're talking about as of Tuesday, only twenty-seven of the one hundred and ninety-two social equity licensees in the state were open. And um they he basically opens it. If past is prologue, then the upcoming fifty-five Illinois social equity license winners on Thursday are going to have a, a rough time actually getting their shops open for business. So I guess maybe there's a lottery tomorrow. I think that's correct. I think it's the last lottery, in fact. Um, I I didn't
1: enter that, but I know what you're talking about.
0: Here's the part that I thought stood out to your point. Um, I believe they're talking to some yeah, Chicago-based consultant, Michael Mays of Quantum 9. Mays estimated that the cost of opening a new cannabis store in Illinois can run between $650,000 and $1.5 million, depending on the location. And for true social equity applicants who are typically not wealthy and often have to rely on investors or other types of financial backers, that's not an easy goal to hit. My thing is like, I don't know.
1: No, what's your thing? Let's hear it.
0: I just don't ever know how to say it because it's like we we set this up for true who true social equity, right? Somebody okay. who is impacted on the war, impacted by the war on drugs. It's like if If they were impacted by the war on drugs, do you think they just have six hundred fifty thousand dollars to a hundred one point five million on hand and and if not that, do you think they just have investors like like people that they can trust and actually know that aren't gonna fuck them over because they have been impacted by the war on drugs and aren't maybe I don't want to say literate enough because that sounds really like I'll just be honest. That sounds bad, but that's kind of but but I mean, like, look, if you've been impacted by the war on drugs and you you don't have six hundred fifty thousand dollars and all these investment people like personally, I'm not financially literate enough to do that stuff. Like, I'll say that, you know what I mean? Like, and I I don't consider myself to be impacted by the war on drugs, (laughs) you know what I mean? So like for somebody that was to like expect that out of them, that's why I kind of like to hear that you're not it doesn't sound like you're supportive of like making, I think I like how you said it because that's how I like to say it. It's like what we've done is we've made the application process competitive instead of the business competitive. You know, you got to be like a legal scholar to get a fucking license. It should be just a fee. Hey, I want to, what do I need to comply with? Okay. I'll pay you a fee guaranteeing that I'll comply with that. You know, license, uh, give me a license. And if I don't,
1: here's my penalty, right? That needs to be clear too, because if you don't- and Is have- that
0: what you mean by strict licensing? That's what I was going to wrap around too, is is because it, it doesn't sound like you're saying limited licensing. It sounds like, and I've heard a few other people say strict licensing. And I think I asked um, Chris, God damn it. I don't know why I'm blanking on his name uh, no. from Illinois Illinois Hemp Growers Association. Chris Barry, I think his name is. I asked him, what do you oh, mean Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no.
2: yeah yeah I he was said, on. You... Yeah, so I was
0: like, oh. Correct. No. Yeah, yeah. I said what do you mean by strict licensing or what do they mean by strict licensing because I read it in an article by Illinois News Joint. And he said I think what they mean is that there are clear ramifications if you don't comply with the rules. But I wa- I wanted to make sure that what we were talking about was not limited licensing and it sounds like that's not what we're talking about. I am
2: very
1: much against especially
0: you know, with what you started off with you're talking about like how this is the american dream and it's the most accessible way and email me if you want to start a business and all that stuff yeah there's there no way that like and that's a, that's actually a
1: pretty recent change in my own thinking right like i thought when i applied for an illinois license that i was like very pro limited license just because of the scarcity and the value that i thought
0: it would yeah. bring should you me- explain that some more because People like it's so much powerful. It, I know you just said you changed your mind, but please, can you explain what you thought beforehand? Because I've been trying to explain it, but people see me as a vocal critic of it. So I think it sounds like, like I'm just bitching about it. So I want to hear it from somebody that like actually used to believe that if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, no, I will. I'm a reformed limited license critic. Um. <laughs> so what I want to say first, though, is like, first off, kudos to the lawmakers, in the state of Illinois uh, for, for really putting it out there. Right. I think there's, there's legit criticism that can, you know, that that we can and should talk about it at a different forum, but like they did a, they tried and they care. And I think that that's like really important to understand, you know, it's not easy kind of doing this. Nobody's gotten it right. And, you know, but I, I just like, you know, the, what is it Teddy Roosevelt used to say like the people who are outside of the ring should not in, or the people who are outside of the ring should not interrupt the people in the ring or something like that like don't interrupt the people who are doing the stuff unless you're willing to help right or at least engage and, and give some resources so kudos to them kudos to those 27 or so folks that are operational that is hard as hell so kudos to all them and kudos to the people who won like that's a life-changing event and I, I wish them all the best getting started. It is hard as hell. And until you've been in there launching a dispensary, launching a grow, launching a processing facility, you have no idea how difficult it is to find that like this one dumb motor is now six weeks delayed and thus you can't open for six weeks. And then you have to email your compliance officer at the state to say, Hey, we need to reschedule this thing. And Oh, that's $5,000 or something. Right? Like it, it's, it's not, it, it it's hard. So I support those people that are in there. I genuinely wish for them to be successful. Um, So going back to like this concept of limited license markets, all that means is that the state prescribes the number of licenses that are available to win. Um, And it's kind of like you're competing to get into Harvard or, you know, you're, you're competing for a limited slot on... I don't even know. Like you just want to get like like shoes, right? A lot of people collect shoes. A lot of people collect cards, watches. Like limited licenses are the same thing. You're just looking to get one of a limited number of licenses that the state decides for whatever reason to issue, right? Alabama only issued five integrated facility licenses, which are vertically integrated, meaning they can touch the plant at every shape it's in, from cultivation, processing, and retail sale. And the cool part about limited licensing is, is it's kind of like a taxi medallion, you know, for, for people who don't know that is that taxi medallions were these things that would go on the hood of a taxi, right. Before Lyft and Uber and, and, and kind of granted the owners of that, the exclusive right to be a taxi. Unfortunately, a lot of the people who owned those were like affiliated with the mob. You know, and they 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 like kind of aggregated all this and they controlled the market and they essentially created like an oligopoly where they waxed people. They just totally charged them way too much to take a ride from A to B. Well, Lyft and Uber came along and said, well, what if we just let Glenn, what if we just let Cole? you know, uh, check some boxes, legally bind themselves to do some stuff and then, you know, but let them be the taxi, right? We know how to drive. We have a driver's license, insurance. We're good. Uh, So limited licenses and cannabis are kind of the same way. Uh, They basically say anybody who has this license can run a cannabis business. If you don't have this cannabis license and try to run a cannabis business, you will go to jail. And it's in a weird way, like, I don't want to say it's prohibition 2.0, because that's an insult to the people who have been impacted by prohibition, but it is far short of the reform that I believe and I think many other people believe is necessary to like really move past the war on drugs. So like. Limited licenses, in, in in my experience, they can breed corruption, right? There's a case in Minnesota, or not in Minnesota, I'm sorry, in uh, Michigan, where like a former state rep was involved with like, deciding who got some licenses. You've got uh, Oregon, where the, the, what is it, the former attorney general for the state was like employed by the largest dispensary chain in the state, and was, you know, bonused out if she helped them get licenses in new states, like this is one step away from, from, from from truly just like graft and, and and corruption and you know people say that like the state needs help regulating you know so we can't have too many licensees but like i i say it's like it's really a plant there's to this day there's no like reported deaths from cannabis and i will go i will go toe to toe with anyone who tries to 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 bring out some some news that is i think uh a little bit more salacious than I wanna get into today. But, um, you know, limited licenses basically make it so that there are haves and have nots. And that if you wanna get into the space, you have to have millions of dollars to just buy the right to get in. Um, Like just for example, I applied for this license thinking that like of our partners, we'd have an asset between three and $10 million we could sell, right? Life-changing money, we'd be millionaires. Like, you know, my uncle who lives on the South side, would change his life right it would change my life uh, you know i don't know if it's if the government ever intends to just create millionaires based on people who can fill out the best form but like that and is in many instances what happens with a limited license market and i just don't like that at this stage of my life right like i would rather get into the ring and be able to compete toe-to-toe with anyone and win or lose, but know that like I did it, you know, win or lose. But that doesn't exist in a limited license state unless you win a license. Does that answer the question?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the, and and like you say, that doesn't happen. Uh what, what Ben Kovler re- refers to that as is a regulatory moat around your competition. Right. And so the
1: interesting thing that I've kind of taken to saying, and i you know, I, I truly do like when I was a really firm proponent of a limited license model, I, you know, and I still am, I'm, I'm so impressed by what those folks at GTI have built. Like in my days when I worked at Baker, which was like a cannabis tech company, like I worked with some folks over there and they were incredibly smart people, like zeroed out in my mind that those folks are operators that are competitive in a good way. But I think sometimes like, Oh, I almost like a jacket for themselves, where there's not enough room for them to operate. And they have made it so that they're stuck in this one way of operating. And nobody can come in and help them because the state made it that way. And they're in a really tough spot right now, just because of the fact that it's a federally illegal product. And you have this little thing called 280E that makes it tough. Yeah. So
0: yeah. I'll, hey, can I'll stop. you sorry, can Bring you it. restart that thought you can, I lost you and you came back and you were talking about how it like you oh, so I just
1: came in hugging myself after the screen. Um
0: well, and you and then you were saying the the federal and 280 e that's kind of where you came in. So I wanted to make sure that we didn't lose what you said.
1: Yeah, so right now, I think what we're seeing in the uh, in the cannabis industry, just the legal marijuana industry is a little bit of regulatory strangling happening, and in some instances it might be self-imposed. So what I mean by that, many times, what people don't realize is that like a lot of these businesses are also the businesses that are helping to craft this legislation, right? And they're writing these rules that they know like only they can clear. And they know they can clear it, but they also know it's a really high bar. Like I have so much respect for those operators, but like because they've created this really high bar, that's also really fucking expensive. Like, it is so damn expensive to run a, a marijuana industry. I don't think most people know how expensive it is. Like, these people are not rolling in cash, right? It's not Huel in Breaking Bad. It's like, right. you know, it's like Walt when he's sleeping in his car. And right? that's it's why not-
0: they want it to be a limited license market, right?
1: Mm, I think they're running into an issue with that now because capital is not cheap, right? Mm-hmm. So money back in the day was very easy to buy to rent, right? Like when you take a loan, you're essentially renting money. And these MSOs because of that regulatory moat could go to an investor and say, "Well, we're one of five people in this state. Nobody else can do that except us. And the regulators love us. Give us money so that we can build this out." And that's a good pitch. Like I I would if I had the money, I probably would have given them money.
0: But also because we're sorry to cut you up, but because oh, we're wait. one of five, we can set our prices at this level as opposed to this level, and that means that, you know, we'll return, we'll have some returns for our shareholders, which is who we report to, you know, and exactly. again, you make it a that's a pitch right there.
1: It's a good pitch. It's a good pitch, and and collectively they raise billions of dollars off of that. But that pitch is now, you know maybe not as effective. And I don't know, I'm not in those rooms, I'm not raising hundreds of millions of dollars, like kudos to the people that can. But I think that they're running into the fact that maybe these regulations are too tough, you know, that and maybe without any marginal benefit, right? Like without any benefit to the patients, without any benefit to the just consumers, John Q public. Yeah, I don't think that's what
0: these companies are worried about, though. <laughs> I don't think they're worried about the consumer and stuff like that. I mean, but I may be just jaded, you know. Some of them will. I don't mean to paint with a broad brush.
1: I know. And I, I like to believe that I like to believe the best of people. I have some very sure. cynical thoughts.
0: Yeah. I have some very
1: cynical experiences. I've had And that's
0: why I said that. I realized that I was painting with a broad bro- brush. I don't mean to say that every company is like evil, but like the this limited licensing thing is like it is anti-consumer and pro-business. Like the only people that complain about an open market are the people that have to compete in an open market. Like consumers are never complaining in that because you have a lot of choice and typically lower prices.
1: Correct. And you know? I think with the limited licenses part is, is it really goes back to accessibility, diversability, div, uh, diversity and helping to repair the damage caused by the war on drugs. I've said that like six times and it's because it's meaningful. Like I'll share a little story. Um, In COVID, I made a friend uh, who was in jail for most of his life. We shared a a wall over our fence and and, uh, his name was George and he spent 26 years in jail from when he was like 17 or 18 to when he was like 42. And, uh, jail was hard on him. He was like, I, I kind of deserved it the first time. But then the second time I did not, um, like it helped straighten me out. And I was like helping him to get into the the cannabis industry. Cause he was like, look, man, I had no opportunity. Like there was no opportunity for me to do it. And these forms, like for someone who maybe doesn't have a high school education, um, they, these are challenging forms to fill out. You have to go get fingerprinted, which costs money. It's, it's, there's a lot of hurdles that people don't realize like a lot of the world can't clear. Uh, George actually ended up dying uh, one night and he died because he had COPD caused by his prison uh, cell and the amount of time that he spent in solitary. And it just like made me so sad, right? Like you can obviously see I'm just a little bit emotional about it because like, he was someone who would have benefited the industry so much. Like he was the person who was like, you know,
3: impacted
1: because of it. Like his sentence had more added to it because he had like a joint, right? Like, it's like, if he was out for fewer years, would he have been alive? Like he was, he like just proposed to his girlfriend. Like we became friends over like literally smoking joints over the fence, like under the Colorado moon. It, it was COVID did some terrible things. COVID did some really good things and kind of, I think brought us to, together with people that we would never meet before, but like people like George, people that live in these communities that have been impacted, but also people who have been directly impacted should have the option if they choose. And I think it's important to acknowledge that just cause you've been impacted by the war on drugs, does not mean that you want to be in the industry? So we shouldn't paint with that broad brush either. But like, I, I'm a huge believer that everyone who has been impacted by the war on drugs that wants to get in the industry should have that ability. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's a, that's a strong. Yeah,
0: and absolutely. Amen to that. And I wanted to just say, because a lot of people ask me if I'm just like, butt hurt because I didn't get a license. I have no aspirations to be in the cannabis industry at all, at all. I don't want to license. <laughs>
1: part of the cannabis industry.
0: Well, that's what some people say. Yeah, for sure. But like, you know, I don't have any aspirations to like sell cannabis, like, or, you know what I mean? And so, but my point and i love that you said it that way i want to i wish i could just rewind the tape and say because you've said it so perfectly you said like limited licensing basically means like a specific people specific people can do this but if you do what those people are doing and you don't have that little magical piece of paper you go to jail yeah you know, and that's that's my issue with it. It's not that I'm like mad and I couldn't get a license. I like you, I think if you want to get a license, you should be able to get a license. And um, if you don't get a license and you're selling weed, then yeah, maybe there should be like uh, like tax fines, you know, just like if you're selling alcohol without a license, like I don't know, it should be a business fee. It should not be a criminal issue. It should be like a business issue where it's like you're not in compliance with the zoning code. You don't have a license. So you get this amount of fees, not we're throwing you in a cage. Because that's exactly what happens. They use all of the same rules as before Prohibition for this. And so you called it Prohibition 2.0. That is what Ben Kovler calls it as well. So don't back away from that. That's that's a that's what they call it. You know?
1: You know, yeah, maybe we have more in common than I thought. Uh <laughs> Um, I, I think
0: yeah go ahead for it. no you, you I was got just it
1: gonna say, like you know in 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 uh in many states they've like there's this little mantra that I've kind of found holds true as you can tell like kind of the quality of a law in for cannabis or cannabis or hemp really if it turns farmers into felons you know like if it if you make it so that somebody is farming hemp and they say you know something accidentally pops hot which is when I say hot, I mean more than 0.3% THC by dry weight. Like if those folks are subject to federal or excuse me, to felony charges or to like going to jail and losing their family, like I-, I have a problem with that. And and I think that there's a good conversation to be had around like, well, how do we control this? How do we make sure people aren't like, you know, doing stuff. And and those are all good conversations to have, but at no point should, turning farmers into felons, enter the conversation, one, because farmers are the lifeblood of our society. But two, we're growing a plant here, there's just genetic variants, there's like, uh, uh, environmental variants, right? It's raining right now by me, I don't know where it is by you. But like, in Southern Illinois, it could be hot and dry. Right? Like, it, it, there's just some of it just doesn't like pass the sniff test. And I think a lot of folks get it both in the industry and kind of as, you know, your listeners who are maybe just like enthusiasts and then in the business community and the regulatory community. So I think things have actually gotten a lot better, but there's still a lot more work to go because like this impacts people's lives. Like I've heard some just sad stories about people whose lives have been just fucked yeah. because recently and yeah. there's no space. I just don't like that at all.
0: And that's why when, you know, I'm going to play this old clip, but this is a good one because it kind of shows you what I'm talking about, how they talk about the regulatory moat and how that regulatory moat, you know, no, and it by that it, it allows you to generate some returns. So yeah. let's play this clip really quick. And I've got another one on backup, but let's just play this one really quick.
4: Right now, there is a moat around our business, both in the States and the country. Oh, no, they'll touch it. Right now there is a moat around our business, both in the states and the country. The federal prohibition provides a moat around our business for us to execute. So us going public in Canada allows us access the capital, drives down that cost of capital to build scale in these markets because everybody wants in. Let's be real. Right. There is a huge demand for this. The alcohol companies are seeing it, and you've seen evidence of them paying attention. Now, how do we know, my daughter lives in Oregon, uh, they ripped up a lot of Pinot Noir fields, planted a lot of pot, next thing you know, the prices went through the floor. How can you protect
3: yourself against something like that?
4: Great question. We think brands distributed at scale is how to win, and brands have pricing power. So we believe as the price of the commodity comes down, the brands have pricing power. We've seen that. That's the price of the hops or the barley going right. down, where the price of the branded liquor maintains pricing power. You have a lot of people working for you in a lot of different facilities.
3: Where are they? And uh...
0: So that's actually a little bit out of not the same context, but still really in the same vein that that what we're talking about. In, In other interviews, he said that he anticipates their cannabis to be like the Fiji water of cannabis. In other words, it's always more expensive no matter where you go. And hey to each their own. If you like Fiji, I guess you can like GTI too. I'm not knocking the brand. I'm just saying it's the strategy and they're not quiet about it. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. people get it twisted. And I, I think it's very important that they're very like open and clear about it. Um, I have another clip, but uh, go ahead. Uh, yes, yeah.
1: That was not the clip I was expecting you to play. So kudos to you for keeping me on my toes. And, and again, I, I just want to be clear. Like I have so much, Respect for you know Bank Hovler and the CEOs of many of these MSOs. I don't necessarily agree with their some of those actions as business owners, but like that's the beauty of this world we live in, you know. But I have nothing but respect for what they've been able to do, and and I agree with a lot of what he said in the market or in in that interview. I actually think most of it was like really well spoken, and and it's just the details don't necessarily work for that. I'll I'll let you play the clip, and I won't forget what I else I want to say. But
0: um. okay, cool. I can cue this one up. I've actually. Yeah, we'll play this one really quick. This is probably the one you were thinking of.
3: You are staying out of some states, uh, including Colorado and Oregon. Oregon, of course, we've heard about plunging prices locally. That might be a temporary thing. But why would you be staying out of Colorado, for example?
4: Simple case, supply demand. We believe in limited supply markets as a way to enter. In Colorado, the restriction on license is not very low, it's not very high. So there's less of a barrier to entry. As students of Warren Buffett, we believe in a moat around the business. And
3: so limited license markets are attractive investment opportunities. That's interesting. And we've heard Oregon, they gave out hundreds of licenses as well. Ben, fascinating stuff. Thanks for joining us.
1: Fascinating stuff. Fascinating. Fascinating. So, you know, again, hard to disagree with his logic. It's just that you can only survive for so long with the business conditions created by that regulatory mode. It's like holding your breath, right? Like I'm running a startup right now and I it's, it's, we're growing really fast. It's a ton of fun, but like I often have this dream and it is kind of scary where I'm like holding my breath underwater and like, I always make it back up. Um, But I'm holding my breath underwater and it's a scary feeling, right? Like we need air to breathe. And in this case, like, I think what, he, you know, what I'm kind of the metaphor I'm making here is that these businesses are putting their head underwater and they're betting that they'll come up for air before, you know, when federal legalization happens. And air in this case is money, right? Like these businesses are, are in some cases running out of money, which is sad because there's thousands of jobs, like good paying jobs. And that's scary. I don't, I don't I don't know the solution there, but like I'm a big believer that like, you know, the hemp industry presents this opportunity to change the narrative and make it so that your ability to raise millions in capital is less a determinant of your success than your ability to think creatively, to execute, and to create something consumers want because not every consumer wants a Fiji or a, you know, uh, uh, a expensive-ass product, right? Not everybody wants a Rolex. Some people want a Timex, right? And I think that in many instances that like large swath of America who, you know, shop at Walmart, shop at Target, you know, like aren't necessarily, you know, well-served besides some super value brands that almost, you know, just say, hey, I'm cheap as hell, buy me. You know, we we think there's a lot of opportunity in, in making a product that would fit on the shelves at Walmart or Target but like respect the circumstances of that customer's life.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I just, I don't know what, you know, I, let me put it this way. I can't say that if I was in his position, I wouldn't support similar policies. Like I'm not holier than thou. Same. I mean, I, I have, I don't support them right now, but I I'm saying if I was in his position, I don't know that I would, you know,
1: same right like but we're not <laughs> and because it's
0: more money i mean it makes sense it's that it's not like you know you can call it sick you can call it morally bankrupt you can call it whatever else i think of when i'm really high and i'm just joking <laughs>
1: um, i love being high i i'm feeling i'm feeling these plifts you know it's a it's a it's a good spot to be at the end of the day
0: yeah but you know you can say whatever you want about it but my question to you is and look i'm not I'm saying, I'm saying. Right now, I don't know how I would answer this. Is would you do the same thing? You know, if you had a choice between a little stack of money or a big stack of money, which one are you gonna pick? And I mean, I'm just saying, the limited license market is an int- as he said, an attractive investment opportunity. Well,
1: let me <laughs> let me talk about that for a second, if you don't mind. And can we run long? Is that cool if we just continue to talk? Or is, you dude, know, we I'm- have
0: no time cap. Uh, yeah, so I'm about to roll up another joint. Great. So here's it. what I'll say about that. Um, excuse me. Um,
1: I, I always will say that I will chase the bigger bag. I'm a human and it's just, it's all about our circumstances. Right. So, you know, where Ben, you know, GTI I should say, I don't, you know, cause that was a team effort that won those licenses too. It wasn't, you know, like Ben is a force of a man. Um, but that was a real team that got this <laughs> right. Way.
0: It's not like Ben filled out the whole application. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like, ooh, <laughs> yeah. That, that was a and kudos to that team. Like some of those people I've met, they're they're great people. Um, But I th- I think the bigger bag right now is in, is in the hemp space. You know, I think we don't appreciate the opportunity here, and that's part of the gospel I like to preach. Is it's like like Cole, let's talk about a Illinois gummy, right? <laughs> Why are we not doing that? Why is every Uh, podcast not doing that? And there's, well, you know, there are valid reasons why, where you may want to retain your kind of neutrality and you said you don't want to do it. So yeah, I won't fuck you on that. But But my point is like, imagine though if like you start to think like, well, how many podcasts are there? And what if 10% of them make a gummy or a drink or a baked good? All of a sudden that's like a, big industry right there. And that's just one teeny tiny slice of the world. Uh, I think that this is a truly disruptive opportunity. And like, to give you an example, like this plift right here, you can go buy this at bars and grocery stores in Minnesota.
0: But see Glenn, that that's the issue though. You remember that clip he just said, that's the problem he has with markets like that. It's too easy to get in. Stay out you know like yeah like- no i agree with you i agree with you absolutely but um I, I just i what i guess i'm saying is i'm worried that with this latest push that whole pr storm that we had where people are like oh the kids are going to die like um i'm worried that what you find so great about the, the state of the industry and i do too that they're trying to make it so that you have at least in illinois And I wouldn't be surprised if they did it in other states as well, that they're trying to make it so that you're, you have to be part of that regulatory regime and not, you know,
1: and, and we're seeing that in some markets, you know, like in, in Minnesota, you know, there, there's some some questionable language in that yeah. state, but like you know, it's it it solidified what is in many instances groundbreaking legislation, right? For the I feel ability, like I
0: just saw something in Florida too, like uh, that Florida. you can sell delta eight or something like that, which is crazy. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I might be wrong.
1: I think it's actually that they implemented some pretty. Uh, last I checked, some pretty decent regulation in that state, and that was really more oh. of a, an instance of that Florida hemp industry really coming together. Oh, OK. Well, kudos to all those people like that got involved there because they like there's a there's a group, a, a communication group online. And it's like the, the group is maxed out. And it's just people like, what do we got to do? We got to like raise money. We got to call people, call your legislators. I know this guy. Yeah, I know that gal. You know, it's like it was like, bang, bang, like mobilization on a, on a rapid clip. But they appreciate the opportunity. And I think a lot of these states don't have a business community that Understands what an opportunity this is, right? Like, let's you and me are cannabis nerds, you know. Like, we love the industry, we love the products, we love the plant, love the feeling, love the people, right? Like, this is, you know, I, 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 it is a lifestyle in some senses for us, but like, it's also a profession. It's like it's something to bond over. It's a lot. A lot of people, it's just like a way to make money, and that's okay. But like the burden is on people like us, like Charles Wu, John Murray, Stephen Brown, like all, you know, my business partner, Todd and Andrea, you know, it's on, it's on people like us, right? Like that are, are, are that get the opportunity. And, and, you know, if we don't fight for it, you know, who will, and, and we know there are people who will fight against it. So, you know, we're, that's why we're mounting like, a campaign to show that this is an opportunity for everyone. Right. And in the free market of ideas, right. That's one thing that is pretty tough to regulate. I I think, I think we're well positioned to, to, to share a really great story for for everyone who really cares. Yeah.
0: I just think, I just worry that You know, while they may, I agree with you, it's business smart and everything else, like people like Ben Kovler or anybody else that supports these policies, history will not reflect so kindly on because of the fact that it is Prohibition 2.0 and it does like perpetuate the uh, war on drugs. And again, I'm not saying I don't understand where it's uh, come from, but, um, this here. I wanted to share this kind of exclusive thing. I wanted to, I took a few notes on some other things that, that you said that I wanted to discuss, but this will maybe kickstart it. Like Representative Kelly Cassidy and Senator Heather Staines, who like led, they were lead sponsors, I believe, for the CRTA, if I'm not mistaken. Um, this might be an exclusive here. Uh, so we've been doing these episodes on, it's not like this is like crazy or anything, but this is important for history. And I don't know if it's been shared before. Um but, but so we've been before I share this we've been doing episodes on cannabis history in illinois it's been a while since we've did one we've done one uh the last ep, the first episode we did was episode two thirty two and there's a document that you can um view as part of that episode It's completely free to download and it's got citations for everything we say in the episode That's Starts two, in, two? what's that episode two thirty two two thirty
1: two
0: yep and um so yeah there's a document you could download it and go along with us as we read the episode and there's citations so you can look it up yourself you know kind of view the full stories that we reference and uh, we start in 1978 because believe it or not that's when cannabis history i don't want to say starts in in illinois cuz it was in illinois before then but at least legislatively that's when the cannabis control act of illinois was established so we start there and that established the graduated set of penalties for cannabis and most of those penalties are still alive and well today the crta did not touch really any of them Uh, but we go all the way to day one of sales and then um what i'm working on right now is going all the way to modern day Uh, but i'm filling in some gaps and this memo that i'm about to show was not in v1 of the um the uh history document because i didn't have my hands on it yet um but this is uh this was sent to representative kelly cassidy and senator heather stains on january 30th 2018 by illinois normal and as you can see priority one on this list i know maybe it's kind of small i tried to oh zoom in God. here
1: this is everything we want
0: yeah, so home cultivation for personal use is priority one, though, is my point, as you can see. Um, this is dated January 30th, 2018, by Dan Lynn Ali Najib is maybe how you – I'm sorry if I butchered your name, Ali. Um, But here's the memo that, that I was able to get my hands on, and unfortunately, home cultivation for personal use only came in the form of medical cannabis patients – and um, that's that's a huge issue for me, and th- just the fact that the C R T A didn't address the the complete criminalization of cannabis, it is also an issue for me. So, I mean, I'm not going to debate whether or not they tried and cared, which is what you said, <laughs> but let me just put it this way: they accepted a lot of money from all of these companies that do that. Do oppose home cultivation and the complete decriminalization of cannabis because that is their regulatory moat. Like you said, <laughs> you know, if you if you practice without the license, they're going to throw the book at you. So they're not going to support those policies. And these people, Representative Cassidy and Staines and Representative Morgan, we show you actually in episode two thirty two how to trace the money that they got. So if you want to look that up too, we show you how to do that in the episode, but there's a money trail and you can follow it from these companies to these representatives. And it's not, it's, it's a lot of money. Like the, the tribune did an analysis.
1: The,
0: the tribune did an analysis. It's like $600,000 at least that they could find that's legal contributions. Who knows? I'm not, I'm not suggesting anything, but you you know, politics. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, uh, so I just wanted to address the tri- they tried and cared thing you said. <laughs> I wrote that down. They oh, tried and- and- I'm not gonna dispute that, but you know.
1: But I, but I think that what you're saying, and maybe what, so you're saying there there's room to improve, right? There's opportunities to do better. Absolutely because for yep. every every time that you see something that, that makes you lose faith in government, you know, you're all I'm also inspired by, you know, folks like you know, Representative LaShawn Ford. Right, who like sees the value of uh, medicinal psilocybin mushrooms, who sees the, the, the importance of, you know, diversity in, in cannabis and, and, you know, uh, reducing uh, barriers to entry for responsible businesses. And again, I'm not speaking for anyone, but that, you know, just my position on, on some of his issues yeah uh rotation of some of his issues I, I don't think and props to
0: him he just came on the show folks episode oh. 303 if you want to check it out episode 303 um with super LaShawn cool. Ford super cool guy and we talked about some of these subjects we're talking about right now I didn't have a lot of time with him so we didn't talk as in depth but we talk about the complete criminalization uh decriminalization of cannabis like you said psychedelics and more so and he, he we seem to be on the same page. He, He said a lot of things that I wouldn't have thought I would get somebody like that to say on the record. So, but here's the
1: thing, though. So I I, like I've I'm I'm finishing up a book on every president. Um, I have one more to go. Uh, President Barrio, President Barack Obama, hit me up if you want to launch an edible uh, president. (laughs) President. Uh, That would be super cool. Um, But, uh, you know, kind of kidding aside, the reality is, is that politics is all about compromise. And that it's really difficult to pass legislation that you know appeases everyone, and the reality is is good legislation is something that everyone's just a little bit unhappy with, but that means that people come back next session, right like you better believe that there's all sorts of back not back room it's like relatively forward like we were at a press conference, right you started this with the front room machinations. That exists. We're talking about these issues, right? We're bringing attention to it. Like, this is why I think the American dream is alive and well in hemp is because it's spurring political activism, it's creating new businesses, and it's like engage, creating good debate, right? And whoever, you know, quote, unquote, wins and loses is, you know, something that history will, you know, we'll be able to tell in a few years, I hope. Um, but like, this is good. Like, this is how our system was designed. And sure, I don't necessarily think, uh, uh, I think obviously finance reform and elections and and politics is good. But, you know, I think the bigger issue here is like, we've got something that's worth preserving and building on, and we should not let it go away. That is just something I hold so, a, a very deeply held belief in hemp is that if this industry were to go away and there was something that I could have done, but didn't do, I, that I would, that would be a regret, right? Like I'm leaving it all out on the field. Like it's, it's far too important of an opportunity to just like, you know, hit the showers early personally. I know yeah. a lot of people feel that way too.
0: Yeah, dude. Well said. What well, very well said. Um. Yeah, it' like you say we're in a we're in a good place, and we live. You said it earlier. We live in the best time. The fact that we're even having this debate, it's like you know, like basically what I'm saying right now is like when I go to the dispensary, there's not enough choices. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you think about I that, know,
1: dude, you are right. Like, like, but hey, but well, isn't yeah. it
0: funny to think about that?
1: Like, yes. always you know? take your butt tender. I that is a strongly held opinion that I've <laughs> always keep your butt tender.
0: Um, and how far <laughs> we've come, though, is I guess what I was really trying to point well, yeah, out. You know? a time,
1: I just yeah, former bartender, I had to represent, but um, absolutely, yeah. we there we have come a long way. What do you think is the most surprising thing you've seen? Because I've talked a lot, I want to, I want to, I want to pick your brain. What's some of the most surprising things that you've seen in terms of like legalization across the country or in Illinois or whatever?
0: Hmm. Well it depends on i guess i don't know like i guess i'll try it because i'm not sure exactly what you mean but i know that's an open-ended question so i'll just swing um the the embrace some people have taken because it is legal now like i feel like before it was legal um like you you couldn't make jokes about it or whatever and and people do now and some people just like they'll get gummies and it's like not a big deal and i was pretty surprised at how just quickly we got over that and i and i think not to just cut to the chase and i want to hear your perspective too but i think that's the problem by the way like i think that's yeah. kind of because it, it, isn't that weird that i think that's the problem but yeah i think that's the problem because people are just like, it's legal. You can get into the store. Why, why do we need to improve it all? And so like this last session when people were pushing for like canopy expansion or co-location, you know, all the things people were pushing for. If you went to a dispensary and asked any of the consumers, what, what are people pushing for right now? They'd be like, I, I don't know, dude, I'm just trying to buy a fucking joint. And that's the problem. I think like people don't, I'm not saying I'm not trying to blame consumers. I want to be very clear, but I'm saying that people do not care. Weed's legal. Now you can go to a store and get it. What's the problem? Okay. It's a little bit expensive. Everybody just has this assumption. It's going to get cheaper. You see it on like Reddit and all the time. They're like, it'll, it'll come down. It'll work itself out. I'm like, I don't know. That's kind of a feature of the market. Like the high prices are not, it's not like, whoops, we have whoops there we've got high prices it's like no
1: Whoops, that $100 eighth like whoops.
0: right yeah so um i i don't know maybe i'm pessimistic maybe this show has made me jaded <laughs> but
1: fair i mean look what what i'll say to that is you said a lot of good stuff there as you got rolling
0: i, I wish i could respond to it's like apathy i think is what to put it in a nutshell in one word apathy it,
1: You know, I would encourage you in particular, man, like whether you think of yourself in this way or not, you're a leader in this industry, you're an activist, you are the the quintessential definition of an activist, you have strangers, complete strangers come on your show and you ask them questions about something you obviously care deeply about, you have opinions that like you are not afraid to uh you know like be wrong about change right like but you care about people you care about home growth, you care about all of these things and i think unfortunately in the legalization kind of wow right like it was like confetti got thrown like the and, and it is and it, as well it should right like so many activists many of whom are no longer alive because of the chronic conditions that they face right <sighs> they fought for a lot of that. They fought for that joint, right? They they fought for a lot of this stuff. And, and again, I don't, you know, maybe may not that joint, but you know what I mean. And I think that there was just a little bit of kind of like a, an oh shit moment in the activist community. Like, what are we fighting for next? And that's okay. Right. Like history is punctuated with periods of incredible advancement. And then there's periods of time where it's like the dark ages were like 800 years or something, right. Or 300 years. It was, it was a long time, like hundreds of years. Yeah, and, and you know, like as long as we let those, don't let those dark ages, you know, turn into rules that can't be changed, or let those dark ages, you know, last for a long, long time. It's like that's part of the up and down, right? Like I, I don't, I don't look at that as like something that can't be corrected, right? I'm, I, I pray and I believe and I will work in my lifetime to see homebrew be legal you know, in Illinois, but nationwide, right? Like, I think that's something that's truly a worthy thing. I, I love growing cannabis. I've done it in, like, this is the first year, the first years I'm not, because it's in Illinois and I'm not a med patient.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, but I grew it in Colorado all the time. Like, and I'm a terrible grower, you know? Like, I'll forget to water it for a couple of days, but it's <laughs> such a plant. But then in the harvest season, you wake up and you go out there and you see your plants. And it's this beautiful tree. It's like a little Christmas tree for people who haven't seen an unpruned plant. And there's buds, just like 30 different buds. And at the top is that cola. And it smells so good. It's just a beautiful plant. And I I hope everybody can, you know, figure out how to get a green thumb through the cannabis plant because it yeah. is like there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah, then you just have people over to harvest and trim and they take all their own weed away and they're they're straight right. for like the next couple months. Like oh, yeah. I never take them, you know. I, I love
0: growing weed. It's just
1: I'm sad I won't be able to
0: do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's straight up. Well, hey, I've, there's another, there's another thing you mentioned. Um, uh, I was going to play a video though, uh, give you some space if you wanted to say anything else. And then I thought maybe we could take a bathroom break before I talk. I wanted to talk about something you said about dosage caps. Uh, um, I'm so down to talk about that. And I got to get another
1: lift. So that, that timing is,
0: Perfect, perfect. Well, let's play this video really quick and then we will, uh, we'll, we'll come back and talk about dosage caps. Uh, this'll, again, I, I'll give you space after you watch this video if you wanted to add anything, but this, I feel like this is a good cap to the conversation we just had. Amazing. Um, and it's selfishly another video that I made myself, so.
3: Hello. Answer to how to keep profits and prevent competition in the market is limited licenses. Limited licenses and limited license
4: markets. Why go play in a knife fight when it's easier to go sit at the beach?
3: In other words, they'll use the law to give themselves monopoly. You, Jamie, they told me about what they were trying to do in Ohio, where they were trying to make it set up where only a couple companies could grow it. So the weed would be legal, but only a couple companies would monopolize. They ended up passing it, I believe. That's terrible. That's like saying, okay, you could have tomatoes, but we're the only ones who grow these fucking tomatoes. Like, why? It's a tomato. That's a law against nature. So you're saying that nature can't take place? I can't put a seed in the ground and grow my own shit. Get the fuck out of here. Is it legal? It's legal. Okay. How's it different than corn? It's not. It's it's a legal life form. It's a plant. You're allowed to grow it. If you say you can't grow it, you got a corrupt system. You got some bullshit law that you weaselled in because you greased up some assholes, and the other people don't have as much money as you do. It's the only reason why that ever happens. Or people are so desperate to get legal weed that they let some dickhead dominate the entire industry, some greedy fuck. No, the the, the the deal is it's legal or it's not legal. You can't just decide it's legal but you're the only one who gets to make money. Fuck you, it's a plant, that's crazy. Imagine if you owned all the pine trees in the country. It's all me, it's my country, my pine trees. You wanna buy pine, you're buying it from me. I find you at a fucking Christmas tree, I'll take you out. Crazy. Yes. First off, kudos to you for putting that shit
1: together. Cause that is such a good clip. I, I, I sent it to my whole family. I'm like, this guy gets what I laugh about at the absurdity. So kudos to you. First off, second off, Joe Rogan, time to put your money where your mouth is and launch an edible line or a drink. So hit me up.
0: Um, or just like have anybody that like, I don't, I've not seen him have anybody like talk about the cannabis market the way that like. I'm not saying I would be the best person to go on at all i I but like other shows other shows talk in like Beard Bros and the I've Beard heard, Beard Bros, you said Beard Beard the farms, I've heard the really good, you know um there are plenty of people better than me, but my point is I don't see a lot of like anybody talking about limited licenses the way like you know the way that a lot of activists do um and just. So- Except for that clip there, you know what I mean? Like that was the one clip where I've said, it's like, oh shit, he was talking, he got like really close to that topic, you know? So here's
1: the funny part about it though, is that, and like many folks, like we both know it, and for folks that don't, it it costs tens, 20, sometimes a hundred million dollars to, to, to launch a business in some of these States. Like it's crazy. And that's cash that you're spending. It's not just sitting in a bank account. It is going away. Mm -hmm. And who do you go to, to get that money? You go to the celebrities in a state, you go to athletes, you know? And so, you know, there, there's like this weird kind of like, you know, a lot of folks who are no, not as knowledgeable about the industry, but maybe have additional money right. are, you know, all of a sudden stakeholders in a big battle that they didn't really understand initially and may actually not share any of those values at all because, they just didn't know that they were getting up getting in bed with a limited license model which is like not inclusive doesn't necessarily create equity and just costs a shit ton of money um but that's i forgot i forgot you did that clip i'm glad you played that um
0: <laughs> thank you yeah yeah it was uh it was an interesting one so well, I have one more plift I want to get. Can I run and grab that? And Absolutely. Then... Yeah, I'm going to go uh, grab a drink as well, and then we'll we'll uh, watch a few more clips and wrap up.
1: I love this. This is a ton
0: of fun. We might be on joint number three here, whatever. Um, What's the record number of joints you've smoked on a show? Probably with, probably in that cannabis history episode, Phil and I drank some beers and smoked some joints and I might have even taken some mushrooms. Who knows? It was it was a good time. Hard to tell. Hard to tell. It's hard to remember sometimes. I don't know why. (laughs) But uh, I'm curious to hear. uh, We'll get back to the the dosage caps. But I, speaking of Phil, good friend of mine, he sent me this clip from Alabama. I've not seen this one yet. It's two minutes long. He said that this might sound familiar. So this is a. A a clip about the Alabama licenses I think so let's check this out
1: and while the Alabama
3: Medical Cannabis Commission sorts out its licensing issue companies who were denied say they would be ready to almost immediately if the Commission gives them another shot at it WDHN state capital reporter Matty Beer Temple has an inside
1: look at one of the facilities
2: Now, if Alabama always were to be awarded an integrated facility license that they applied for, they say that these greenhouse rooms they already have built would be ready to go within 60 days. The company says they've spent more than $5 million on their Montgomery facility. They say no one from the commission ever visited the site. Even without a license, they're still moving forward with construction, hoping to get one in the second go around.
3: The process seems to have failed so completely at this point. Um, we don't see how we can really be out of it.
2: Lawyers say they want more transparency about how they were scored.
3: So it's still an absolute mystery. We know nothing about what happened with these scores.
2: After a hearing in Montgomery County Court, Commission Director John McMillan clarified the error that prompted this pause. He says there was no issue with the evaluator scores or the commission scores, but somewhere in the combining of them both. Well,
4: this means a mathematical error, you know? I mean in adding up the score? Well, yeah.
2: yeah. McMillan says an accounting firm is currently reviewing the scores. The commission plans to re-award licenses August 10th. It's unclear by how much this will delay the rollout. Tell me
4: how many more lawsuits we're going to get filed against us? you know, when when we get through in August. I I hope at some point uh, something is going to prevail to consider the patients that desperately need this product instead of how hard can I get after greenbacks?
2: Now we expect to hear more from the Alabama Medical Cannabis Commission on Monday. That's when they have their next meeting. Reporting in Montgomery, Maddie Beertemple, WDHN News for the Wiregrass.
0: Damn, that did sound familiar. That was pretty interesting.
1: I can't believe that I'm like tearing up because of that clip. Um, That was not the emotional response I was expecting because I, I, I helped a group apply for an Alabama license. We didn't win one. We're, you know, in that kind of post licensing decision-making process is probably the right way to put it. Um, and one thing that I just am going to take the opportunity to say right now, and I will put this shit on the record anywhere. and sign my name to it is that the folks at the AMCC were so close to making the single best regulatory and application process that I think I've ever seen in my experience in cannabis. And I would have never in a million years. And again, I mean, no disrespect to the fine and lovely people of Alabama, but I would have never guessed that it would have come out. Of <laughs> what the- makes that- you say that though? What what about it? Alabama gets a bad rap. Um, you know, it's like the South in general gets a bad rap. As no, being- I get
0: that. I mean, I get that. <laughs> what makes you say, what makes you say the, uh, the sorry for folks that don't get it on that part, but uh, what makes you say that you were surprised and you felt that it was going to be good? I'm curious. Oh my God. They just cared about the patients. They cared about the patients. They cared about the products
1: of the patients. They they put in little controls that like would make it better for, or make it easier for patients to get access, make it easier for people, harder for people to flip licenses, you know, make it, you know, so that the patients like had a say. And they were trying to do it transparently. They were trying to do it fairly. Like they had, like, it was a beast of an application, dude. Like, And they had 42 exhibits, 42 exhibits. Like I had to help someone prove that they have uh, more than 15 years of agricultural experience, agronomic experience is the term, you know, and it's like, that's not easy you know, and that's just, that was like one of the easier things, but 42 exhibits. I've never heard of an application with more. So, you know, the whole process was outlined pretty clearly. They put the rules out, they accepted reasonable comments and accepted reasonable changes that benefited the patients, that benefited the operators, like in a way that reduced costs without take you know, taking away guardrails. And I thought that like, I had high hopes. I really did have high hopes for that market. I still do. I just think it's, maybe a couple months further out than everybody thought. And and I also want to say John McMillan is a very good man. He has been a uh, servant sermon- guy that was talking about. Yeah. John McMillan's a very good man. He has, he is doing this from a very good place. He is a, um, you know, a, a, a lifetime uh, political, I want to say a point D. And if I'm getting it wrong, I absolutely mean no disrespect, but like he, he has been in the govern in government for his entire career and he could have retired, you know, he was, I believe, the controller of the state of Alabama, which is like responsible for the finances. So he's like, a, that's a powerful position. Mm-hmm. And he decided to launch marijuana, not because he was like, this will be a fun little cherry, but because he's like, I want to do this right. And so I, I have a lot of respect for that, man. He is he is someone who um, is, is eating a lot of shit right now and handling it with class. So kudos, kudos to that guy there, you know, and, and on the other side, some of the folks in that position. You know, they kind of speak to the absurdity of the, the licensing process. If you, you spend $4 million and you don't win, well, did you have a plan for that? Like, what will you do if you don't win, right? It's a competitive process and you may lose. Yeah. You know, like there's some, the, market's, the market would say tough shit you know, but at the same time, like, you know, I I think it's also, it needs to always be about the patients. We've, we've both said that a few times, right. You need to make sure that if you're going to argue for something, your own, uh, financial gain is secondary to that products and
0: patients. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that I was going to say though. That's the weird thing is that, like you say, like, yeah, I guess in the business, you should be ready to take losses, but like, this is like the weird case where you're taking losses because the government failed or, Whichever accounting firm wouldn't be surprised if it's the same one that Illinois used. But um, I,
1: can I go on a segue for that for a second?
0: Is it? Do you know? Do you know since you're it in it is a... It is KPMG. Okay.
1: Gotcha. So, what, what's your segue? So I'm, su- hold on, ambulance, ambulance. Hope that person's okay. Um, I'm <laughs> suing the state of Illinois for a FOIA lawsuit. Oh, really? I want to know the scores of the craft growers Over an extended period of time. Like. We don't know. Who was graded when. And I think that's important. I really think that's important. Yeah. But yeah. APMB has a nice little. Little spot in the market. To be a. To be the go to grader. And frankly I think it's good to have a third party. Just because like. They pay people a lot of money to not fuck up. And that doesn't mean they won't fuck up. But like, there's contracts in there. And you at least have something for the public to look at. And, and I think that's good. I'm a, I'm a huge believer in transparency in gov- government, just like I'm a believer in like, in many cases, free market principles. But I'm also very much a pro consumer safety advocate, if I had yeah. to just after a couple of cliffs.
0: Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And I, it's always good to like clarify that when I say like open market, free market, unlimited licenses, I still think we should have like testing and labeling requirements. No. And I think you should be able to buy cannabis without that if you if you want to, but um like I think that yeah that that should be a thing. Um, sorry, I'm blanking right now. Um. Oh, uh, I, I do think that like Illinois has, it's actually interesting. I'm about to commend Illinois credit where credit is due. We have ownership limitations. So you can own only 10 retail fronts or three cultivation fronts. And that's a good thing because it prevents any one person from becoming larger than another. I think that's a good thing because it prevents a monopoly or an oligopoly from taking form I will agree with you. Here's the thing. I say that, Glenn, and you're shaking your head, and it's funny. I could probably be easily persuaded differently because I've started to realize what that incurs, or I don't know. I'm trying to get too fancy with, with my wording. <laughs> what my what problem. What's that? My biggest problem is yeah. using trying to get trying to break out the thesaurus um (laughs) uh yeah my problem too uh so the problem that comes with that um damn it what was i just even talking about i could probably take it because i know exactly what you're saying i'm skating on thin ice here what were we just talking about
1: talking about limited licenses and how license caps are good oh oh thank you sorry i
0: just want to complete
1: three cultivation centers 10 dispensaries and like two or three craft grows depending on how you interpret it
0: yeah i wanted to just quickly say that like i realize now that those limitations are hard to enforce i don't think that that's a reason not to you to do them but i would be remiss if i didn't acknowledge that because like i've just heard it from shaleen title who says like you know some people are talking about anti-monopoly at a federal level. And it's like, it's hard to do it because the train has left the station in so many different industries. But with cannabis, it's like, we're like kind of left the, kind of left the station, but like, we're also almost on this federal level. So she's talked about these limitations and I will say, and I want to give you the space to say what you want to say, but I will say the shortcoming that I've seen with that proposal. And I just have to be honest is like, it seems like it's impossible to enforce or at least it's not enforced in the state of Illinois. I've pointed out to, you know, uh, a few cases where I feel it's not enforced, you know, like one entity for example, uh, and then I'll again, I'll give you the space. I'm sorry, but a uh, real estate oh, investment trust. Uh there's a lot of real estate investment trusts, but I'm just going to pick this one that I know about, Innovative Industrial Properties. They at one time claimed to own 100% of like six or seven Cultivation centers in the state of Illinois, which is three or four above the, the limit, because it says uh, the the if law you, the reads
1: read the state, not the license. The I know, read-
0: but but the way that the law reads, still, to in my opinion, if I I'm not a lawyer, so that's one thing. But yeah. but it says like I'm just going off the top of my head, you can be. You cannot be involved directly or indirectly with three or more cultivation centers. And I just feel like a real estate investment trust is involved directly or indirectly with the cultivation center because they use it as a source of capital, right? I mean, that's literally what they say. So there's a lot
1: to unpack there. And you are you get this industry so well. I would almost say- I wouldn't go that far, but yeah. No, dude, you should. So like, but look at the- like if you are going to your real estate that you ostensibly own yeah and you're getting the capital out of that like that's i wouldn't look at that as like a sign of like some iipr for example right Is the business you're referring to i want to look at them as like these these kind of behind the scenes string pullers they may be i don't think they are i look at that as like a sign of challenge, a challenging business condition sure. for these, these businesses, these cannabis businesses, because they don't have other capital, or if they do, it's so expensive, right, that, it, you know, it's bad. So like, I look at that as more of a sign of like, the truly challenging times in the licensed cannabis industry. Um You know, but I, I hear your point, like, anytime you have that sort of concentration of assets, but they're not doing that well, right, people are defaulting. Yeah. So like, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I mean, again, I, I hope, I, I never want to see people lose their job. I can never, I don't like rooting for people to fail and almost. Sure. You know, sure. But, you know, I, you make I hope a, good point. a reasonable place. You know, I don't know what else to say. Um, no,
0: you, you make a good point. I mean, like, I think other people have made the point too when I've talked about this that, like, it's not rare in business to not necessarily own your real estate. You know what I'm saying? And I'm that's not what I'm like. That, that I wanted to be clear. That's not what I'm like. I'm not like saying they're evil because they do that or anything. I'm just saying the law says an individual or entity can't be involved in more than three directly or indirectly. And my thing is like. I feel like that's pretty clear on what it means but apparently not
1: <laughs> you, well, know. you know unfortunately in this world laws are selectively enforced you know right. Fortunately, unfortunately right like how many of us have like gotten out of a ticket yeah for some reason and you know like we're thankful for that but then how True. many people in jail for bullshit you know that's very unfortunate so like yeah you know we but have
0: I- I get business wise what you're pointing out. I just want to say that again. I get business wise why it makes sense for somebody else to own the real estate and then you lease it back because then it's less cost on you, less liability. You know, yeah, it makes business sense. And I, and again, I want to make very clear I'm not alleging any like wrongdoing. I just question like when it like reads clearly like that. That's all. So, but high dose. Oh, go ahead.
1: The license part you, so you said yeah. some really stuff about like the anti-monopoly the anti things like that like oh yeah
0: yeah for, i forgot yeah go ahead that,
1: i think is the most interesting thing we're happening right now so for i assume most of your listeners know who shailene or, is and i if i'm mispronouncing her name i apologize i uh, i don't think i've ever heard it spoken so i've just read it um sh- she's been an advocate for some time and she's divisive in the community i don't quite understand why in, in, in all the time like I think some of some of the criticism I've seen levied against her is fair some of it is I think very unfair um but you know hey when you're kind of at that level you're going to have some haters so whatever but what um,
0: do, you, do you mind talking about what's fair I'm just curious yeah
1: you know I think that there's 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 a case to be made about like her some of her theories right and i'm not 100 percent sure so i don't want to like speak i don't want to get too far out over my skis and look like an idiot because i feel like i've kept myself like i've stumbled only a few times and mm-hmm. she's like someone who i really respect and look up to so i don't want to like get you know say anything that i i don't mean yeah but you're not
0: trying I, to start beef with chalene right now no 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 no.
1: <laughs> yeah she's got way more to flex uh and, and she you know i, I when there's beef, it'll be fun and usual, right? Not like anything where it's like I'm just such a nobody. But um, she's—I um, don't think that she has given like a, a really a free market approach. The 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 true like kick in the of that that it or not like the the consideration that it deserves. And what I mean by that is that, you know, my interpretation of some of her policy perspectives is that she wants there to be no monopolies. But like, what does that mean? Right. A monopoly just means that no person owns 100 percent of a market. Right. Because monopoly is truly when one person controls the market. By the current metric, that's successful. Right. With the exception of maybe Georgia, where there's one or two businesses that are operating, like truly might have a monopoly in Georgia right now she's not wrong right like anti there is no monopoly there's oligopolies but she's anti-monopoly and i I think that like one thing that someone who i respect as a mentor told me once is that it's a lot easier to fight for something than it is to fight against something and so i would just love to know like what is it that she stands for in terms of like if you're anti-monopoly that's great Or like, what are you, speak about that in proponent terms, right? Like, are you pro, you know, equitable access to markets? Are you pro overtaxation? And I'm not saying she is by any stretch, but like the lack of taking an affirmative position on some of these issues is I think allows some of her proponents, or excuse me, her opponents, the opportunity to create a narrative for her. And she's a really smart, she's a freaking professor at I think OSU's. She's like very smart. I'm like, these are not thoughts that, I'm sure, like she hasn't already moved past. You know, I just would love to know what she stands for because, like, I have had that experience where it's like super easy to poke holes and things, but when you're the person who's like saying we should do this instead, that's hard as fuck. And so, while I don't personally agree with all of her policy positions, I respect the hell out of her and think that what she is proposing in in most instances is superior to existing laws on the books. Not in every market, but in in many of them, like. Markets would
0: be better served by a lot of what she proposes. Gotcha. Yeah, I always just I any other if, question. Um I mean, I didn't hear any like critiques. <laughs> any like you said, uh the you said you I guess the critique you said was that she maybe wasn't you said you didn't feel she was clear about like what she means by a monopoly. This is the paper I always refer to if folks are wanting to read. What, right. one that i like it's uh bigger is not better preventing monopolies in a national cannabis market um and that's Shalene. what uh, what i
1: think i struggle with with a lot of these proposals is that they like assume that a state licensed market is the, the assumption is is that a state licensed market exists
0: well i think this is this this is why i like this paper because it it gives um it says, while a majority – or with a majority of U.S. states having legalized marijuana in some form and Congress contemplating opening the doors to interstate commerce, it's a crucial and vulnerable moment for the future of these new markets. Um, what, what, it is a crucial and vulnerable moment for the future of these new markets. Sorry, I read that wrong. While states are making historic process progress – god, I'm so high – Creating paths for small businesses and disenfranchised groups, larger companies are expanding, consolidating, and lobbying for licensing rules to create or maintain oligopolies. And so um, she's talking about the nation's antitrust laws were created as a solution to stop the monopolistic practices of industrial titans who threatened the public good. This paper argues for applying those well-developed principles to federal cannabis reform now before it's too late. And I love these eight policy proposals, specifically the first one, baby. Uh, and I'm just saying that like, because you know, you said it earlier. Hell yeah, baby. You know, um, allow people to grow a reasonable number of marijuana plants for personal
3: here's, use.
1: Here's my biggest issue. This is what it should be. Allow people to grow marijuana. To allow people to grow cannabis plants.
0: I agree. I agree.
1: I think that if we're going to like put it. Succinct- yeah, we
0: should drop reasonable. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Like
1: it's if, if, just a number. No, allow people to grow marijuana plants. Like do Go start a, a soybean farm right now. I can get a three and a half percent loan from the federal government to do that. And they, yeah. you know, and some people could argue that, well, you know, soy oil is bad for heart health or high fructose corn syrup from corn is bad for our health. But like, I don't know. It just seems disingenuous to like say that you, we're going to limit the amount of plants people can grow, and because the answer to that question is why. Or the, the question answer is why.
0: Yeah, like, I I don't think she mean. I'd have to ask her honestly. I don't think she would mean that, but. But yeah, I agree that it should just be allow people to grow cannabis plants for personal use or marijuana plants for personal use. I, I this with- is the second point I think you're probably going to disagree with. And I actually used to agree with at this point. I don't know how I feel about it because after having spoken with. So it's the second point for our people listening is prohibit vertical integration. So um, Glenn, really quick, can you explain what vertical integration is for our listeners?
1: Yeah, vertical integration is the ability for one business to grow, uh, process, and when I say process, I mean take out the cannabis oil and put it into products, and then sell those products at their retail outlets or other people's retail outlets, and then you have transportation. It's basically, you control the whole supply chain from seed to sale, farm.
0: So so I used to be down with that because and the reason she so she's saying that if you prohibit that, that um prevents, you know, like maybe a monopoly or oligopoly from happening. I used to be down with that now. Again, I'm undecided because it's like I've talked to to some like I generally I feel like I support it, but I've talked to some operators in Michigan and it seems like it's their like lifeblood. Uh because it's their only insulation from competition is to vertically integrate themselves so that they but like control the price from the top to bottom but it's not even control the price it's control the quality right like yeah
1: like i for example like every time i grow my
0: own bud it's grown in soil it's really quick grown- though in this context though it is it really is price because the the context of the conversation is like everybody's dying. The price of the cannabis is hitting the floor. How are you staying open? How are you remaining competitive? And their answer was, we are vertically integrated.
1: We don't have enough information to, to say that removing vertical integration is the best solution to the problem.
0: No, I'm right? not saying it is. I'm saying they were saying that they were protected against um, oh. the free market. Um, Like, you know, you. Know, it's funny. It's funny. People from Illinois will like point to Michigan. They're like, oh, It's bad that all these licenses were issued because the price has gotten so low um, and people are going out of business. (laughs) Right. People are going out of business. So I've asked them, hey, I hear in Illinois, the prices are so low, people are going out of business. How are you staying open? And their answer was, we are vertically integrated. So we're insulated from, more or less from competition. You know what I mean? Like, yes, they also, their product speaks for itself. You're absolutely right, dude you're absolutely right and that that's one of the other things that they've got going for them folks if you're wondering it's symponia farms that I'm referencing um just a shameless plug for them in Michigan um, but uh yeah like so they they uh, they've got great quality but they've told me that like they they wouldn't be able to rely on sending their weed to other stores because it's just like ah eh. like they guess they could but they're like nah we're just gonna keep it here because we save money we don't have to spend money shipping it anywhere whatever you know what i'm saying
1: let me ask you an interesting question like just like the re- the question that i think gets people's minds to change on this is like would you prevent a business from selling e-commerce products and if you say yes like you most people would say no like why would we not allow some little maker like one of my wife's first businesses was like she made these coasters mm-hmm. you know and sold them and she could sell them online uh it's it's a funny story that she should tell sometimes. But like, if if the, the policy positions advocated in that paper were made into law, you could make an argument that you can't have e-commerce because you're vertically integrated,
0: right? Like, where do you stop that? Where do you allow that?
1: Yeah. And
0: that, and again, I, that's that's another reason why I don't know that I support that anymore. You know, I, like,
1: but in the context of, sorry, I just got so many loud people by me. But in the context okay. of, um like the current regulated state market system, it makes sense in s- for some instances, right? Some markets. Right. But again, I think that like, we need to not necessarily look to the, we need to like remove ourselves from the current regulatory challenges that exist in the marijuana industry and say like, how can we use hemp, which is federally legal, right? Like in my opinion, the cardinal sin of the mar- the cannabis marijuana industry is the fact it's a schedule one substance. Yeah, absolutely. I, Like. And and that's a thorny mess, right? Like you can get, we can get into the the conspiracies and politics of that at Mm -hmm. some time. But like, why not? Like I I advocate for federal legalization this way. You move the decimal spot two points over on 0.3% and make it 30%. And what you do there is you end up solving two problems. You say any, flower is broadly legal at that point right? Like, and you and I both know that most flour is not going to test above 30% if you're really testing, right? And maybe they're, I'm not, a, am not a cultivator, so I'm not the most knowledgeable on that. But like, I think 95% of growers are going to grow below 30% THC by dry weight. So you're solving the testing inflation issue, right? Where you have people saying like, my weed is 50% THC. And it's like, no, it's not. Like, don't lie to me like that you know so i think that's the most elegant way to do it there's other ways you could do it like i've heard somebody say something about like crossing various like things i don't know i'm not going to say cuz i don't know it but like i that's how i would legalize federal you know cannabis federally if i could you know clip a pen or snap my finger i guess
0: yeah yeah but i i thought like you know some of these other things that were on here like do not cap the number of licenses available in total but limit how much that. of a market any one person or entity may control and I, know I know you're. Yeah, you're. You're not agreeing on that. Um, why? Do, can I ask you really quick? Because the reason I don't know that I it's it's not that I don't agree with it. I like the idea of it, but I I realize that the story of like capitalism in, Amer- in America and you know how you end up with things like the Panama Papers are this like string of corporations that allow you to not like catch me if you can type of thing.
1: Yeah, tax law is tricky, right? And
0: But that's the only reason I don't support that idea. So I'm curious, why don't you support the idea of limiting how much of a market any one person may control? What market,
1: right? Like, are we talking about like in a state? Are we talking about like, you know, are we going to have the same laws for Wyoming as we are for Illinois? Mm. Are we talking about the United States like as a country? Like, I don't think there's a precedent for that um
0: and i think that exactly though that's i think her point you know
1: yeah but like uh, monopoly law in my limited understanding is not really enforced right Right. like like five social media companies five media companies you know like their monopolies are alive and well and oligopolies i guess Mm -hmm. but uh, there's like to what benefit and like, who sets that, right? Because like, who sets that that percentage that somebody owns? Like, what basis was there for that? What are the penalties if somebody enforces it? It just seems needless. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm like, like, I think there should be really strong, like, bullet teeth enforcement laws if you kind of start to get into that monopoly stage. But the reality is, is that like, I think setting a precedent of like strong, toothful anti-monopoly law within the context of cannabis is good but setting a prescriptive like you only own this much and i haven't read that paper in some time so like this could be addressed in the this all could be addressed but like as of right now i'd say those are probably like my biggest questions is like when you start to get into the reality of it like i just i'm not 100 percent sure how that happens you know i just i think practically speaking from from an operator's perspective i'm like how do you enforce that
0: yeah yeah, and I mean, in the case of Illinois, just really quickly, it's funny we've got those limits, but then meanwhile, also, all of that information is confidential, so the public can't even like check it if they wanted to, which I think is hilarious, given yeah. that we have those limitations. But it's like, let's not be transparent about it, you know.
1: Goes to Bob McCoppin for his dogged reporting and FOIA use of FOIA to get cannabis information. That that
0: guy's done a lot. Yeah. Yeah, he has. I hope to. We've talked to him a lot. I'll have to have him on the show sometime. We've been yes. trying to figure out the best way to do it. So, um, what was that? How many? What like? What else is on the list? Uh, not much more. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go through anymore. I mean, I feel like we've basically covered it. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, the only other thing I really wanted to talk to you. I know we're like pushing. We're we've been going for a long time. Um, Appreciate but,
1: you. What's that? Appreciate you for going this long. I it's I I love these opportunities because there's not that many people that can talk about this stuff and that care about this stuff. You know, fun to talk about it with is I think important. And thank you for giving the space. Like I, this has truly been an enjoyable experience.
0: Good to hear, man. Yeah, I that's what I love about doing this is that that I'm able to give people the space and we're able to have such long format conversations. And, and I hope that somebody's watching this like a hundred years from now, going, Wow, isn't is, was that a crazy time in history or something like that? You know, because you know, yes, this is I hope new, so. this is a new form of media. So let's say maybe we'll end it with this topic. You brought up high doses, uh, in that you say you saw like high doses of, um, delta eight and you were like ah i don't think anybody maybe you did acknowledge like special cases but you were you you sounded like you were really advocating for dosage caps oh did i just cut out for you sorry your video cut out for a moment uh let me make sure all my family is uh um oh no you're all i mean you're you're all good i i just wanted to make sure that i didn't know yeah, no, no you. it's um
1: yeah, no, we're good. No, I heard you just fine. You were asking about, how do I feel about, why don't you just ask the question one more time? So cool. if a listener could, you know, didn't miss it.
0: Yeah. Uh, So asking about dosage caps and you, you seemed like you were like a proponent of dosage caps, but then you said, let's treat it more like alcohol than the pharmacy. I felt like those were like, that's like an oxymoron. If you not talk, if you're advocating for uh dosage caps but then you said you want to treat it more like alcohol like there's no dosage caps with alcohol you know no
1: and that's a valid point but like there are pretty standard accepted versions of servings but that's absolutely a, like you know like i guess what i'm trying to say is you got a 12 ounce can you got a, a liter, you got a handle and you can like get a keg right i'm there's other right. stuff but the, the tricky part with cannabis is that like a liter of cannabis oil is enough to like get you high for the rest of your life so finding that middle ground is but,
0: yeah and I I I get where you're going but like ever clear you know ever clear exists too so I just want to be careful that we don't I don't know I think no, I like true. to see where you're coming from you're coming from a good place but the hell is the road to hell is paved with good intentions or whatever they say like, is right And like,
1: this is where I hate me sometimes is that like
0: in the interest of moving
1: the ball forward, there's like these little compromises where part of me is like, you know, we got like, we should let the market decide what those, those, like, you know, what the consumer wants, right? Like, is it a milligram of serving three milligram of serving? ten? you know, I I don't think we know yet, but then on the other side of me is kind of like sometimes taking a lot, like just taking a stand and, and, but being able to acknowledge it's wrong is better. And and frankly, like I look at this from a, the compromise is fair, because if this means that there's a regulatory framework for hundreds of new businesses to be created in the next year, millions in tax revenue, you know, thousands of jobs, like I'm willing to, to sacrifice, like letting the market decide how many milligrams should be in a serving or in a package in order to just exist, right? Like fundamentally like, I, I think it's important to say it like this. The hemp industry is fighting to survive across the state. Like in Arkansas, Arkansas, it was outright banned. And that sucks. There's businesses that are going out of business. I know people in Minnesota who are shutting down because of some of the changes that that law introduced. And it's, it's, it's sad because these are real people with kids and families and, and goals and wishes and retirement savings that are depleted. Um. So, if I have to give on caps so that those people can still be in business, like for me, that's a no brainer that I I would trade all day. And, and, you know, I think our elected officials acknowledge that they see that. And and they're willing to say like, these people are willing to trade profits for existence and regulation. Like these are people who we want to be in our business community who are good operators. And I, I, I just, Are trying to do here. And, you know, we'll work with us in the future to say, like, maybe five's too low or 50's too low. Maybe it's 100 or 200. We'll work on that in time. But I'd rather have that, you know, be five years from today and still us still be in existence than like today. But then we get banned because we were being unreasonable. Like, you know, it's like trying to ask, you know, it's, it's putting together the right Christmas list, right? You have to like put together the right Christmas list with the really ostentatious one so that you're just setting the right anchor point. But if you get too ostentatious, you look like an asshole and you know we got to be careful about that
0: i was about to say throughout this you've you're really good about that uh, and that's why i think i like you a lot is that you kind of like have grounded me in a in certain sense uh throughout this conversation where it's like you'll give that other perspective or or why it might you know uh make sense or or why maybe going for the throat which is what i tend to tend to typically do like i just go right for the end solution you're like well maybe the more digestible way is to start here to get to there you know what i mean you've been able to like
1: i appreciate that i i you know i I, that's 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 the highest compliment i could ask for come from someone who has interviewed hundreds of people so uh, thank you that's not that's really nice this is a genuine smile of like happiness i appreciate that
0: yeah well, dude, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Um, did you want like to burn one down in person, man? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, did you want to plug anything before we uh, wrap, it up, wrap uh, it up?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, again, I
0: want to say thank you, Cole.
1: Chill uh, my podcast. You've you've been around for so long, and and a resource to me and many people. So thank you. Um, I want to thank uh, my business partners, uh, Todd, Andrea. You know, Ben, David, Liv, um, our investors just might have to plug them, but also just like thank all the activists, thank our representatives and senators just across the country who are listening to the hemp industry, Charles Wu, John Murray, uh, Mark, Dan, Corinne, just a bunch of folks who are in this, Sam, Tyrone, you know, so many, I I have, I'm there's, and if I forgot anyone, I'm sorry, but like the cannabis industry too, marijuana, hemp, like Everyone who is in this, every employee, every bud tender, like is taking is is literally writing history today, and it's so fun and it's exhausting sometimes. But like, I am so happy that we get to talk about weed and I get to get chopped and drink three of my own fucking sodas that get me just a little bit high. Like what? Like the the I, the Matrix will break at some point, but like I hope it isn't today. So yeah oh and i should probably plug my companies plift we make a four milligram hemp infused thc soda and then perfectly dosed we make a water-soluble thc emulsion um but yeah if anybody wants help getting into this industry or even into the license space like i don't really give a shit but if you want to get into like touching cannabis more and you're over 21 you're you know like you have the right intentions like please reach out to me um at gam at plift.com and you know i'd love to help everyone it's if i can get thousands of people into this space then i will die a happy man
0: i like that pitch i seriously it's like a humble pitch like if you want to if you want to join the party you want to you know it's a
1: fucking cool party too it's like i'm trying to not oversell it but i love it i I wish there were 30 hours in the day but there aren't
0: unfortunately well hell yeah we'll have to do this again glenn i appreciate you thank you for uh i think yeah charles reached out and i was like and he's like here here's glenn and i was like let's talk i saw the video that that he linked and i was like let's talk dude that's a i'm glad you can you send me that link i or wherever it is nope Uh, i'm just joking yeah of course (laughs) of course of course
1: Damn, it's like it's like holding up the roto you're
0: just just gonna just keep it yeah yeah i'm gonna keep it a chillinois podcast exclusive No, i'll forward it to you right now um but yeah Thank you again for your time. And hopefully, uh, hopefully I can try one of your drinks sometime soon. Oh, did I lose you you? whenever? um, No, no, no. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, sorry. Sorry, my Wi-Fi must
1: be getting shit. Um, Yeah, thank you. And I I really appreciate you giving me the place, the space and time to just kind of ramble and sometimes make a point and sometimes not.
0: Hey, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And uh yeah, I'm forwarding you this.
1: And can when it, like when this is done, can we can we talk not recorded because I want to get your address?
0: Oh, well sure. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I don't
1: I don't know if your address is publicly uh uh if you if you nah, want We'll
0: f- we'll figure something out. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, uh but yeah, hey folks, I hope you found value in this. Glenn uh we'll wave by the audience and we can talk, we can talk off air. So folks, we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.